Salutations. My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to, uh, let me get my horn, my, my horn ready. Episode 108 of our <laughs> business. <laughs> How many people are going to get that that's supposed to be the, the horn for what? Like, and it, it's not even a horn, isn't it? Don't they do a seashell? Isn't it a, a conch or something? Is a seashell or a conch yeah. not a form of horn? I mean, what do I know? I don't, you know. Anyway, this is episode 108, and we were talking about, this is a, um, I guess, a living dead episode. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. We'll go with that. Yeah. this is, We're talking about 1985's Return of the Living Dead and then 1988's Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Let's dead some more. Let's fucking dead it. Because we already did, if you remember way back when, we already did part three with, oh my God, who did we do that with? Jenny Dreadful. Oh, we, yes, we did, we did, yes. We did our, we did our Brian Yuzna episode. Did I like part three? I don't even remember. Um, uh, I don't know. I think I was meh on it. So just the other day, friend of the show, uh, Trey Lawson, suggested that part three was his favorite of the Living Dead series, of the return of the Living Dead series. And I was dismissive. Hmm. But I could be wrong. I mean, it has its moments for sure. If you want to know how we feel, just go listen to the episode. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So yeah, we're going to talk about these two zombie movies. But before we do that, we should thank you, our Patreon subscribers, for being patrons. Now... We do this for free. Um, I would say we did this out of the goodness of our hearts if we had any, if I had any goodness in my heart, which I don't. Liam has lots of it. So maybe Liam does it out of goodness from his heart. I don't. I, I do this because I have opinions. I have so many opinions. And if I don't get them out of me, they may kill me. So maybe I'll start keeping them inside. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if you want to contribute to helping us out with the the, the, the costs of running a podcast network, you can head to www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks and fucking smash that MF and subscribe button, you know, for a one-time donation or a monthly donation, whatever. Whatever you do, it's totally cool. This episode is also brought to you by the people <laughs> who are not uh, brain-eating zombies brought back by... Um, herbicide that the fucking U.S. government was hiding in a basement somewhere. We have Alley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, if I said to you, I wanted to get a t-shirt made that said, this isn't a costume, it's a, a an effing lifestyle. Where Specific- would you suggest? I like that it would specifically say effing. Yeah, well, because, yeah, we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're family friendly. <laughs> Uh, I'd suggest Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, the team over there, uh, led quite bumblingly by uh, Chris Reject, would uh, you know help you develop your idea, give you uh, you know personable but professional service, and make sure that you got that shirt or hoodie or windbreaker or dad hat printed as quickly as possible. 
Yeah. So if you want a quality item at the cost of one man's emotional well-being, head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Who else do we have to thank, Liam? We're going to thank our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, <clears throat> Aaron Dahlbeck is the best. We love him. Uh, he's in Be Well right now, who just got signed. Uh, he was in Bain. He played in Converge. I think he did at least one 10-yard fight show. The man, the man's, uh, you know, obviously uh, an accomplished musician. He's also an accomplished coffee roaster. And at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can order the highest quality beans roasted to order. You can also order tea and merch. And whatever it is you decide to pick up there, uh, on your way out, you're going to want to enter the code CINEPUNKS, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, capitalize. Get that 10% off your order. Come on. You want you want this tea. You want this coffee. You want a hoodie that says Essex on it, I think. I don't know what it says, but you want to get it. Head on over there. EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Now comes the time in the show when I uh, I am a – I run a medical supply warehouse. and oh, my. No. My stupid fucking asshole new guy shows up and he fucking bumps up this container full of fucking herbicide and it spills everywhere. And now um, we have a a dead body that we have to get rid of because it's reanimated and we can't. So I go over to Liam, who runs a mortuary for some reason, and I need him to cremate this dead body and as i roll up before we take the body out and show liam what's in there i say hey liam what have you been doing involving har recently uh that was a really uh long run-up for yeah yeah i was really scraping the bottom of the barrel no pun mm -hmm. intended mm -hmm. okay well uh if people have been paying attention to cinepunks.com they know that I just posted a piece reflecting on the movie The Gate, and uh, I watched film. I watched that in preparation. Um, yeah, you know, I, the, for most of what I want to say, you can go ahead and check out the article. It, it is surprising how well that film holds up. It is, I think, you know, I've had people say, like, when I talk about how much I love The Gate, you know, oh, it's kind of gimmicky. It's kind of like a you know, a, a bit youth centric for me. I don't know, blah, 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 all kinds of dumb excuses. And it's not just that these people are stupid. It's that the movie actually is some of those things. You know what I mean? Like it's clearly like, Oh, we're going to make a movie and it's going to have, it's going to have teens in it. And we're going to put some heavy metal in there. Like uh, they're not wrong. There is a bit of like a gimmicky sort of like culture thing going on. Uh, and that's what makes it, so amazing that it's still effective. You know, this is like what the 20th time I've watched the movie and it's very effective. It's very interesting and entertaining. It has some really um, intense special effects that weirdly still work, I guess, because there's just something about claymation that's still haunting, you know, even though oh, yeah. you know what it is. Uh, but also it has a lot of subtext, you know, if you're paying attention you are watching a movie about a world of suburban youth who have almost no parental supervision of any kind. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I talked about how the film kind of represents the anxieties of the characters and thus the audience, you know, anxieties about uh, teens and, and preteens and, and, 
um, you know, the angst of fitting in and the fear of puberty and all that stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But I also think the film represents some of the fears of like the general society. Like in the 80s, the attitude was like the teens are our future unless they turn into Hellspawn, which about 60% of them do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there was just no sympathy. Like anyways, I'm going to go in a rant about it. Go ahead and read my piece. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I also am not yet finished, so let's not have any spoilers, but I am very close to finishing uh, Midnight Mass. I have, I have an episode and a half left of Midnight Mass. Uh, people can go ahead and read a spoiler-free review over at Cinepunks.com by a friend of the show, uh, Jake Given. Uh, I thought he did a very good job writing about that in a way that didn't give anything away. Uh, it's interesting. It's I, I've very much enjoyed it. I know some people have mixed feelings. I've thought it was really great. I will say the the worst take I've seen so far was one that Jake sent to me. It was printed in Vox. Have you seen this review in Vox of the series? No, but I'm sure it'll kill a few brain cells if I do. It, it's basically about how this young man, as a horror fan and as a, an atheist, uh, was really bummed that Midnight Mass was so clearly – Christian propaganda meant to evangelize to its audience. Um, and that he, as an atheist is of course, one of the most oppressed groups of people on the planet. And so like, this is just another example of horror, something he cares about being co-opted, uh, by mass media and, uh, taking away his right Aww. to be a free thinker. And, Aww. and like, let's take away all the victimhoodness here of just the fact that you're not religious. Cause uh, you know, if, if you want to make Christianity the bad guy, I'm right there with you. I'm okay with that. That doesn't bum me out. What bums me out is like how, I mean, I haven't finished the series yet, but I just don't understand how someone could watch a series and be like, clearly Mike Flanagan is trying to turn us all into followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. I have finished the series and I can honestly say that Mike Flanagan shows not much love to evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, I haven't finished it yet. That's the vibe I'm getting here is much more critical view, but this, this is a dude who got, I, here's the thing. I shouldn't just bust up people for their bad takes. We all have bad takes. Sometimes I want to be sensitive to that. It gets a little on my nerves when this is a person being paid to write something that's clearly stupid. That just feels poorly thought out. And that's, that gets on my nerves. Hang in, hang in a second. Um, the Christian police are knocking on my door to take me away because I'm an atheist. Liam, I'm sorry. I know you didn't count on the most your your co-host being a member of of, of an oppressed minority, but I have to go now because I'm being oppressed. <coughs> I mean, I did count on it. They, you bring the diversity to this podcast. So. Yes, yes, you're welcome. <laughs> I, you are an ally. <laughs> God, I'm so glad I didn't. I'm so. I'm just getting fucking angry right now thinking about that. Anyway, literally I mean, the worst fucking take you can take away from that. I mean, you know, I'm I'm busting on this person. A little. I'm exaggerating them a little bit, but it's just this whole feeling that that, you know, I don't know, whatever. I'm, I'm not going to get it. The point is, I very much enjoyed it so far. I'm looking forward to finishing it up. 
Um, I that's kind of it for me. Other than you know, th- this is the funny thing about trying to watch horror for funsies in October is I also have lots of horror to watch for because we're gonna do horror stuff for Cinepunks. Yeah, and then we have some horror stuff to do for Cinema Smorgasbord. Oh, let me say one more thing because now that it's premiered. I don't think I'm under wraps anymore, but I have watched VHS 94. Oh my God. I'm watching that as soon as we get done recording. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think you're going to like it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to lean towards like it a lot, but we'll see okay. what you have to say. Um, I will say we've often said that uh, an anthology lives or dies by the wraparound. Um, One of our I, rules. <clears throat> I will say this wraparound is not as strong as other ones I've seen. And okay. so I, that was a little bit, it's not bad either, but it's just like, I actually think this is one of those places where our rule gets stretched a little bit because I think the internal stories are for the most part way better than the wraparound, but gotcha. I think the wraparound is good enough that it works. Um, and I, you know, I want to specifically lift up the, I mean, they're all very good, but there's one specifically directed by friend of Cinepunk's, uh, Ryan Prouse, who directed yeah. Low Life. Hell Yeah. And his John is is very good. Um, yeah, if, if people are wondering, like, oh, is that something I want to see? Like, yeah, man, it's fun. It's, you know, any anthology film is going to be a little bit spotty, but I actually thought all the stories were at least interesting if, if they weren't all my favorites. And it is a, a film in which the ending credits, uh, the music is uh, MDC's Dead Cops. And uh, I would say that's thematically appropriate for the film. So, uh, you know, keep that in mind going in, you know, if you're <laughs> gotcha. if, if for some strange reason, you're someone who's bummed on dead cops, this is not going to be your movie, my friends. Just, this just put that sec- out there. Second, second episode in a row, you've praised something involving dead police officers. Yeah, I will continue to do that. Um, I briefly want to talk about something that I've wanted to talk about with you for a minute. And this isn't spoiling anything in Midnight Mass, because I think it's pretty established in the series by the time it gets to where you are. Um, sure. I like the idea that the show is taking a look at faith. Uh, How do I put this? Faith at blind faith versus regular faith, I guess. Like there's this idea, like I could tell you, Liam, um, how do I say this? Uh, Cause fuck, I had this in my head. There's this idea in the show that people believe something through faith. They believe in something they, they, they know might not be true, but they believe it anyway. And then there's the idea that people need to see miracles and people need to see these wondrous things in order to believe, if that makes any sense. Like there's, they keep like, a, I believe it's the, no, what, the, what, the, what, 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 what do I believe? It's, it's a, Paul, the fucking guy, the, 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 the minister guy. Yeah. He keeps referencing the disciple Thomas, like doubting Thomas. And I think the show is saying something about the concept of refusing to believe in something miraculous unless you can touch it with your hands, unless you can like, unless there's some substance there. And I can't make up my mind whether or not the show is critical of that or saying that's like a virtue. Hmm. I mean, I'm of the opinion that <clears throat> I'm not convinced that that Flanagan has a specific agenda when it comes to religion, because 
I think he um, is using this as an interesting context to explore a very scary scenario. And he's going out of his way to have characters in a few different directions that are both good and bad. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or that are sympathetic and unsympathetic. Um, but I do think he's very clear at least, and I don't think that this is ideological. I think it's just a fact that belief and specifically Christianity a lot of times is a place where you can easily manipulate people. Like this man is manipulating these folks, you know? And um, again, I don't want to get into too many spoilers either. I think I think uh, there might still be people who want to watch a show, but um, when it comes to... I think if we were going to say, does the show have a perspective on, uh, you know, this idea of like physical sort of proof, I think um, what it's doing to some extent is showing that all the people who are feel obligated to stick it out, regardless of the decisions that are being made that are clearly not good decisions. It's not just the miraculous. It's the ways that it benefits them. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's to some extent self-interested um, either to who they are or to what has been given to them, you know? And yeah. I'm, I don't know that it in and of itself, it's a, and in that way, I think the strongest way that the show actually to me is supportive of a secular mindset is that, um, it seems pretty clear that the storyteller, if we think of Flanagan not just as a director, but as the person selling the story, is making it really clear that like the issue of whether or not the base religious ideas that some people on the island hold and some people don't is actually irrelevant to the plot, which is something you do if you're a very secular person. A if some if 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 he was super Jesus-y and trying to like sneak Jesus in there, then the beliefs that people held would matter. Right. But in reality, like the show, at least so far, isn't particularly interested in, in this case, Catholicism, but it really, in any of this, like it doesn't matter. Like what's happening to him does not rely on the cosmology of the Bible. It's something else entirely that then he's using. He's trying to justify this horror that he is now participating in via scripture, but it has, it actually doesn't matter. Like the, 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 the same story could be happening if Jesus rose from the dead or didn't, you know what I mean? And yeah, that, no, you're me, absolutely right. And that to me is what makes it engaging for people. <clears throat> I will say, I made fun of that person's take. I want to say I'm also a little bummed at the – there's a lot – you don't get to see this because you are not married to a pastor. I am. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of people of faith who are like really latching on to this thing, and I hope it doesn't become like a sermon starter or like a – I could just imagine someone writing like a theology book based around this thing. If anyone's well, listening and they feel inclined to do that, like just don't do that. Yeah, right? pump the brakes. Just yeah. fucking don't. Just I, – I mean, you know, I not I guess you could write a fun article about it. That's fine. But I, I'm just waiting for someone to like – because one of the things that Christians do is they find something that has themes that resonate with them. And instead of letting those themes challenge and deepen their own ideas – they just use it as a jumping off point to just say things that they wanted to say anyway. And yeah. that's like, 
that you know I get that to some extent as a way of talking about art, but in the hands of church people, it almost always just becomes either blatantly or latently evangelical, right? We're only yeah. bringing up, you know, there's like <clears throat> there, when zombies were a thing, a million fucking books came out. I mean, they're still technically a thing, but when they were more of a thing, a million books came out talking about the walking dead and the gospel and shit like that. Not just the walking dead, the show, but zombies oh. and the gospel. And after a while, it's like, you haven't done any original thought here. You watched like a couple movies or a few episodes of a show. And then you just said all the same fucking things you would have said. Anyway, if Did you, you wanna- guys know who the coolest zombie is, let me tell you about my friend, Jesus. It's and and it can be the 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 pernicious part is that it can actually be more in depth than that and still be pointless, right? Like and and this is the issue that this is why I think to a lot of extent a lot of people end up not wanting to do something like theology anymore, regardless of what their beliefs are, because so much theology ends up being like here's a list of things we already feel pretty certain about. Now let's see how many different ways we can reiterate those ideas as opposed to being like, guys, I watched this midnight mass show and now I feel differently about this thing. And now I'm going to reconceptualize it and come up with something new because I, this piece of art affected me though. Again, I don't know that there's really that much of midnight mass that should be challenging anyone's beliefs. But if, if that's where you want to start, or let's say you want to start with like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, the mission or something like, it's never like, hey, I'm using this art as a way to actually like do something new and interesting. It's always like, here's another prop underneath something I already wrote a book about a few years ago. You know? It's, yeah. It's so annoying. Anyways, point is, I like the show so far. I'm really into it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say before we, you know, you talk about whatever for you is um, <clears throat> there. I've talked about the, on the show before about I'm a big uh, uh, Mike uh, Mignola, Mignola fan. I never know how to say his last name. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm a big Hellboy fan and the world of Hellboy, you know, like that world has slowly expanded to BPRD and Sir Edward Gray and Lord Baltimore and all this stuff. It's like, you know, whatever. And recently I was at, went to a comic shop again and I'm looking for new books and whatever. There's a whole bunch of stuff that is, connected to him that is like not directly Hellboy, but it's like within that larger world. It's almost like it's become its own like franchise of different sorts of titles. And so I picked up a few of those and the ones I've read so far have been very, very good. Oh, like, I didn't know. S send really me, good. Send me a list of that stuff then. Cause that shit, like it's been a minute since I've read any new Mignola, but like, I mean, there's a reason I read all the fucking BPRD yeah, uh, yeah, and and I, I and and I, if people haven't read them, I love his spinoff stuff. Like I think the Edward Gray stuff has been really good. I think the Abe Sapien stuff is really good. Um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, Lobster Johnson. That stuff has been solid. So uh, I even like his non Hellboy, but also spooky Lord Baltimore stuff. There's yes. e there's even now a spinoff of that called Lady Baltimore that I uh, picked up. I haven't gotten to read it yet. So I just. I just think he's amazing. And I know like people get frustrated with the breaks between stuff, you know, like there'll be like a six issue arc of Hellboy and then nothing for a while. Or, yeah. or I think some people are just tired of like all the other hell. Like right now there's all this like retro Hellboy stuff, like Hellboy 1949 or Hellboy. And people are tired of it. But this, this, all this new stuff is like new characters, new stories, new whatever. And at least again, I haven't read all of it, but from what I've read so far, it's been really good. Cool. 
and very horror, very horror esque. Of course, of course. Um, I haven't really done much involving horror. Um, I went to a few screenings at the Mahoning. Um, I saw your favorite film of all time last night, Pumpkinhead. It's great. <laughs> it's thought- we- it's weird. Of all the, why, why is Pumpkinhead the thing that people continually are like? Man, I can't believe Liam doesn't like. It. I didn't even say it was terrible. I just don't like it. Because you made the mistake around me of saying you didn't like it. And therefore, I latched onto that because I'm an asshole and made <laughs> it a thing. I mean, whatever. It's fine. I mean, people, people like really like when they talk to me better to like, OK, let me tell you. Let me try to convince you why I'm right. And, pu- and I'm like, OK, that's cool. We can like <laughs> pumpkin head. It's fine. Um, the only other vaguely hard thing I've done uh, is I went and saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and I unabashedly love that movie. Yeah? Yeah, I straight up don't give a fuck what anybody says. I acknowledge its shortcomings. I accept them. I thought that movie was amazing. Um, and I'm genuinely sad, like legitimately, seriously, unironically sad that that movie will be nothing more culturally than the fucking vehicle for the post credit scene. Right. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not bummed on the post credit scene, but I'm not a huge Venom fan, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess I am bummed. Well, I don't want to ruin the post credit scene for anyone, but I just hope that Tom Hardy continues to be Venom. Let's just say that. That's, that's yeah. what I, that's, I want to make sure that's still a thing, which, you know, it seems like it will be, but, you know, I want that to be, but, you know, it, it is a bummer that, like, I mean, they had to, whatever, I'm not going to get into all the Marvel speculation right now, but suffice it to say, I'm, I do want to check out Venom. I just, I, I'm not excited about, I, I'm just not a big Venom fan at all. And I've never particularly liked Carnage. So yeah, I'm going I'm, in it, a little skeptical. It's, it's honestly like, this is like, I think both a strength and like a, a weakness of the, of, of the, of the film is that the only thing that the only thing that Cletus Cassidy and let there be carnage has in common with Cletus Cassidy in the comic books is pretty much the name and the fact that he wears a fucking alien for clothes. Um, they at points try to make him sympathetic in this movie, which, you know, you get an A for effort, but it's not the character that the comic book early on was mm-hmm. like there's like an actual human being there. That's like fucked in the head, but still, you know, still a human being, not like a, a, a dumbass joke machine like he was in the comics. Um, but no, I mean, and, and the reason I say it's vaguely horror related because there were scenes where, where carnage is like genuinely frightening um, because it, it showed I mean, granted, it was like PG-13, but like the thing that always scared me about Carnage in the comics when I was a kid is the first time I saw Venom, I was kind of scared. But then you're like, oh, he's not a bad guy. He's just like, he looks scary, but he's not really like he would never hurt me. But now we have something that looks like him that would absolutely hurt me because it's bored. And the way it looks and the way it moves and the total lack of any kind of morality uh, that this thing has it is frightening to a point. Um, I mean, it's still 
you know, it's carnage. Like the character isn't the fucking super in-depth uh, thing to begin with. Um, but it definitely had like a vague body heart touch to it. Uh, especially like, you know, in the way, it, you know, the, you know who Cletus Cassidy is, you know how he gets his powers. Um, but I think they did a good job of like, instead of making him just like a person under this symbiote, they made it clear that this character is more alien than Venom is in the sense that like, he's not really relatable at all because he's barely a human being. And I thought that was like an, a neat choice on uh, the filmmaker's part. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I haven't really, I watched Slaughter High the other night on a whim on Tubi. That was fun. I don't know if anyone follows me on Instagram. That's where those weird stories about like Marty came from. But, uh, yeah, other than that, just nothing, just hanging out and, uh, enjoying October. That's great. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm glad that you enjoyed pumpkin hat. That makes me happy. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about 1985's return of the living dead. We'll be right back. They only come out at night. They're mean, rude, and dead. Not them. Them. There's a hundred of those things out there. How many did you say? A hundred? The dead are refusing to remain buried. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna call the boss. They've come back to life. They're hungry. And they're not vegetarians. The graveyard out there is full of people coming out of the ground. We have a little problem. What the hell is going on there? Rabbit weasels. What? More brains. They're back from the grave and ready to party. It's party time. The return of the living dead. And we are back to talk about 1985's American horror comedy film written and directed by Dan O'Bannon, The Return of the Living Dead. Uh, I don't think we really need to give you a plot summary, so we'll skip that. Um, what I want to talk about quickly is the history of this film. Specifically, the uh, John Russo, George Romero history of Return of the Living Dead. Uh, were you at the screenings of? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I already know what you're going to say because you've talked about it a little bit on here before. Yeah. And I was sadly not able to attend. Well, okay. So I don't want to make you any, any more sad than you already are. Um, but I was lucky enough to be at a screening of Night of the Living Dead with John Russo present. Um and hear him talk a little bit about this, um, this movie, like uh, John Russo, co-writer, I think producer, something else on Night of the Living Dead. Um, he and George Romero, I don't know if it was like an amicable split, but they basically agreed that John Russo would get the rights to the phrase living dead and George Romero could make sequels to Night of the Living Dead. He just couldn't say like, Dawn of the Living Dead or Day of the Living Dead. Um, apparently, John Russo wrote a novel called Return of the Living Dead that I've never read, but I want to. Um, and this movie was supposed to be made by uh, Liam's new favorite director, Toby Hooper, director of Salem's Lot. 
and Life Force. Why new favorite? What's that supposed to be? Because off, off mic, we were talking about Sounds a lot. You love Toby Hooper. I've always loved It's the new that I'm. You love Toby Hooper. You, exactly. Are you denying it? Are you denying it? I hate you so much. Okay. I love him too. You do too. Well, you don't love him because you keep disrespecting his memory. That's actually not true. I would, if Toby Hooper, I would die for Toby Hooper. I just acknowledge a truth. And that said, he was bullied by Steven Spielberg on the set of Poltergeist. Bullied. One of Spielberg's many sins. Crimes, if you will. Anyway, Toby Hooper was supposed to direct this. But uh, I think from what I've gathered, he bailed to make Life Force. Good move, Toby. Um, And he suggested that Dan O'Bannon direct this movie. So we go from this weird, uh, in my head, Western-style duel between John Russo and George Romero that gets settled by them parting ways and settling the script. Now we have fucking Dan O'Bannon making a zombie movie, which is great. Love it. Um, And what's so weird about this movie, what's so fucking nuts, is if you ask someone to say, if you ask like a normal person, what is the archetypical zombie film? I almost guarantee you they're going to say Night of the Living Dead. That's the movie that everybody knows. Yeah. But if you say, what do the zombies eat in Night of the Living Dead? I will again guarantee they say brains. Now, if you've seen Night of the Living Dead, which you should have, they don't eat just the brains. They just eat you. It was this movie that introduced the concept of zombies eating brains. So in a weird kind of like fucked up, like jokes on you, Romero, while George Romero's idea of the zombie is definitely the most, has had the most impact. I think it's kind of John Russo. His idea of the zombies eating brains is the one that has seeped furthest into the zeitgeist. Because. Right. Well, and I, I would possibly argue, and you can tell me what you think of this. Okay. That one of the ways that that was perpetuated was the Simpsons. Yes. With the tree. I was going to bring that up with the tree house of horror and the amazing episode with the, (laughs) excuse me. I'm John Smith, John Smith, 1882. My mistake. Fucking greatest comedic moment in the history of the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right because oh, it's just, it's. Which I suspect, I don't know. Uh, we could probably, if we were Simpsons scholars, we would know this. And if anyone listening is a Simpsons scholar, they can let us know because I'm sure they've talked about this. I This is my suspicion and it has been for a long time. They decided on the brains thing because immediately they had the joke about Homer and no brains. I, I, sus- <laughs> I suspect that in the writer's room, the Homer joke is why they did a zombie episode at all. Oh my thus, God. Yeah. And thus had to do the brains. They, they had to be returned to the living dead zombies because they knew like, we got to get this fucking brains joke on Homer. Honestly, well executed too. Like as, as soon as they start saying brains, I'm like, well, I even as a kid, I knew what the fucking joke was going to be, and yet when it happens, it's, it's I still so laugh. I still it's laugh. It's so yeah. good. It's so just like how they just shove them rudely out of the way, like every time. Just mwah. um, no, but it's a uh, it, it's it's a weird thing 
that this is that this is this is seeped so far into like American pop culture. Yeah. Where I've heard people say that The Walking Dead isn't a true depiction of zombies because they eat more than the brains. Oh my gosh. A and true like, depiction. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, an accurate depiction of the historical events of zombies. Um Now, all that aside, you know, we're, we've we've talked about the weird culture of this movie. Um, I just want to say with, with, with no hyperbole, 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 that I love this movie. I do too. Um, not only does it take place on our friend Liam's birthday. It does. Um, but every time I watch this movie, I experience such joy that it just, it, it for a fucking brief minute in time, I just feel something. It's like, like this moves me in the way that a quote unquote real movie does. Like it just, I love, I, I love everything about this movie. I love the music. I love the, uh, the kind of weird self-awareness. Like when Linnea quickly just like takes her clothes off and starts dancing around the one guy's like, Oh, trash is dancing naked again. Like it, it, it kind like there's just something there that makes this more than just like a shitty eighties horror movie. Um, and plus there's these weird moments of heaviness like that are, that are just like, well, that's why I feel like, again, we don't have a lot to base this off as of off of, but this is my suspicion as a watcher of his films. This is the Dan O'Bannon factor, right? That, Dan O'Bannon as a dude is like, yeah, it'd be funny if this happened and this will be really funny. And, oh, they eat brains because it hurts to be dead. That part and the only thing that makes them feel okay is the brain. And I was like, I, I swear. I mean, this is a man who I, you know, from what I can tell, had a lot of like suffering along with his success. And he was difficult to work with for some people. And, uh, you know, he, he, died of a painful and horrible disease and you know like there, there's a lot of here and when I think about his movies I think about movies that almost always have a sense of humor the exception possibly being alien um, <laughs> uh, but almost always have a sense of humor but also have something dark or menacing or sad in them often all those things you know what I mean and so like when that happens I just think like in a way, even though you could say like these are some of the corniest costume punks to ever costume a movie, you know what I mean? Like just utter ridiculous portrayals of this culture, and yet a movie that's this fun and and also sad is pretty punk rock. You know, it's it's a weird no, thing. I mean, it's like you you look at the soundtrack and they could have just been like, oh, they're punks. Uh, yeah, they listen to the Ramones, the Sex right, Pistols. Right. And, you know what I mean? They went with fucking Colt for yeah, Colt forty five. 45 grave. Um, it just, they, they, they very easily could have taken the, taken an easy way out, but instead they, I mean, are, are the punks in this movie ridiculous and, 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 and costumish? Absolutely. But the fact that they like got this soundtrack together, that is an absolute fucking banger. It is. It really is. It really shows that they, they were, they were going for like a, going for something that was more than just like, yeah, punks. They're like the bad guys from the Ninja Turtles. Uh, and I, I think that lends itself, you know, when I was a kid watching this movie, getting in the punk, I was like, oh, I know those guys. They're kind of like my friends. 
you know, except none of my friends were as attractive as Linnea Quigley, but you know, yeah, potato, potato, whatever. doesn't well, even apply. But even, even the Linnea Quigley of it all, because a, she, for, for those that like that segment of the film is one of the grossest ones. Cause she's naked. Right. And then she's yeah. getting the awful death rain immediately on her. Like, before any of them are suffering, she's like, God, it burns. And you're like, yeah. fuck, that's so horrifying to be naked there. And then when she comes back as a zombie with terrifying. her fucking giant maw, it's one, it's the, again, and I don't want to just put this on Dan O'Bannon, like, let's just talk about the movie in general. But this is one of those places where the movie is like, to some extent, fucking with the audience, right? Like, I mean, just the fact that you have these two scenarios that are very much edge of your seat scenarios that exist just to like sort of wrap up as the bomb falls. You know what I yeah. mean? Like they're in the attic. What's going to happen? She, he finally busts through the attic in this like still, Oh, but then there's the, you know, the fucking nuclear bomb. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there's multiple scenarios like that where it's like, Oh, did you guys like, uh, the ways that uh, we were objectifying Linnea Quigley earlier. Cool. Cause now she's a real deadly zombie. who's going to munch your face off. Yeah. So is that hot? Are you still turned on? Is that hot for you? Yeah. Where's your boner now, nerd? <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I, I'm making it sound more, I don't think it's at literally like that, but it's just one of the many ways where the movie, which I mean, let's be clear guys. This is, I think some people are turned off by this movie because it is to some extent silly. Like the, the zombies, are at times played for laughs. I mean, literally at times the zombies are just guys with mud on them tackling someone, right? But also it has enough of her moments of like intense special effects or actually creepiness that I think you have to be down for the marriage of the two where you are being both asked to have fun with this movie, but also let the f movie poke you in an uncomfortable place. Cause some of these moments are fucking very uncomfortable. Uh, the scene that always gets me and I think is one of the best moments in any horror movie ever is when the one paramedic goes back in the ambulance and turns the headlights on and there's just a fucking crowd of zombies standing yeah, there. Yeah. That is fucking horrifying. That is chilling. I watched this movie the other night and I was like, oh my God. Like it's, yeah, the lady with the fucking spine talking about how it hurts to be dead. That's some heavy shit. That sucks. Like the, the skeleton popping out of the ground with the eyeballs. That's really cool. But that scene where they're just standing there is like visually such a fucking like departure from the rest uh -huh. of the movie that is so like in your face and like, you know, gonzo balls to the wall. And then there's just this moment where these things are just, it, it's just, it just makes my fucking blood go cold. It's so frightening. I, I, I understand too. I think there is some pushback on this movie because we, we, you know, people often point towards, uh, you know, 28 days later as, uh, the first fast zombies, though, again, they're not zombies, but you know what I mean? Thank you. Um, this is the first fast zombies, right? Like they literally are just like, we got 30 guys, we put mud on them. Then we just are like, all right, when the cops get out of the car, just like grab them, I guess, just run up and grab them. And like, I, I, I think for some people, they're really attached to the shambling zombie. And, and I get that. I, I 100% get that. Again, this is a different movie, and I think it's doing everything it can to set up its own world, its own sort of cosmology. And to be fair, whereas I do find 
in some other films, fast zombies are not that intimidating. I think this film really at times makes it very scary, especially with our dude who becomes a zombie. He is uh, quite menacing and very uh, upsetting. Tom, Tom Matthews when he's like yeah. chasing. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. I mean, it's also one of the things that makes this movie makes the zombies in this movie like more than like the just the shambling ghouls and like Romero films, which again, I, I love um, the scenes when like, there's not just once they could have done it very easily where like one, uh, you know, the ambulance shows up, they get fucking attacked. And then there's the send more paramedics line. Another ambulance shows up and gets attacked. And then, they send cops there and the people are in the, 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 the boarded up man mortuary. What they're like trying to warn the cops to go away and they're just getting bummed. The zombies are literally calling in reinforcements so they can fucking eat more people. Like there's a level of like menace there that can't be, you cannot ascribe to like a Romero zombie. You can't really put malice on a Romero zombie because they're just all they think is to eat. They don't think they just, there's nothing there, but the fact that these zombies kind of have a sense of self mm -hmm. and they do it to avoid pain. That just, there, there, there's just something that like, maybe I'm looking into it too deep, but there's something that's like that much more existentially horrifying that the thing that's attacking you is suffering so bad. It's willing to do unspeakable things to alleviate that suffering. Even if it means putting you in the same place, it just doesn't give a fuck. There's just something about that, that makes this movie um, a lot more like there's a deeper fear to it than I think people give it credit for it. There's, there's, there's a, there's a deeper source of horror there than just like, Oh, Linnea Quigley's tits. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's asking a certain amount of its audience. Like I'm thinking about the first, uh, zombie being the fucking um, preserved body and the intensity of that thing just coming at you, you know? Moments of that are kind of funny, right? But, like, when he puts the pickaxe through the head of the thing and it's not dead at all, and then they cut the head off. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. Like, I, I think that's the thing that maybe is hard for people to – navigate about the movie though and i guess i kind of already said this but you know is is it's it's asking you to go with some tonal shifts where like it's it is kind of brutal and gross i mean you know one of the funniest monsters ever is tar man oh right? my god but also kind of gross and fucked up at the same time you know yeah i mean it's it's i i know that he be he's kind of come become like the mascot for these movies he gets played up or it because we don't well, let's be honest we don't we don't know Tarman's gender fair you know you're right you're right um the character gets played for laughs in one of the later um the later return to living dead movies which i i all cards on the table have never watched because why would i um and there is like a kind of goofiness to the character but like when we first see Tarman, it is so like striking and there is nothing else out there like it like there's no other zombie that looks like that 
He's just an animated skeleton covered in black mud with these terrifying googly eyes. You know, who can use tools? I, there, it, it's just, it's otherworldly. I think the other thing too that is for me really intense here is the hopelessness of the situation. Like in a Romero film, things are very dark, but there's some part of you that thinks like, well, if they really hit their shots and really like keep their shit together, like they could be okay, right? They could be okay. And in this movie, it's like, no, there's no fucking. If there are more than four zombies, we're, we're done. We are fucking done here because you can't kill them. You can't end them. And I wonder if for some people that's too much. I don't know. But like for me, it adds to this feeling of like you're just kind of waiting for the hammer to fall. And then when it does fall, it turns out it's the U.S. government who does it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's something about this, like, like the whole how do you kill something that's like that's already dead. Well, you know, you just shoot them in the head and it's fine. Like every other zombie movie has that way out. It has that like if you keep your cool, if you are in an elevated position, if you fucking just stay calm. Like even like the Zack Snyder running zombies. Like if you are, like if you stay frosty, you might make it out alive. But in this one, it's like you the best you could hope for is that they can't run after you and they have to crawl after you and you have enough time to make an escape to figure out what the fuck you're going to do next. And that was the part when I was a little kid, that was, I think the part that like scared me the most was yeah. that they can't be killed. Like you can just, you can blow them in half and the pieces that can will still come after you. And on paper, that's really silly, but put yourself in the character situation and understand that that is that is not only like terrifying that it can't be stopped but that also fucks with your idea fucks with your idea of like rational versus irrational that's such a like a weird like like physics by the laws of physics obscene thing that like detached arms and legs are coming after you or heads yeah it's upsetting and I, I also like the, the the scene in this movie that really I think highlights the the concept of hopelessness is when James Karen kills himself. Yeah, you know it's kind of played for laughs with the, the 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 weird bluesy music, but like when he like you know yeah I mean granted he spends most of the <laughs> most of the movie just caterwauling and like bemoaning his situation and it's kind of funny, but then like. The scene where he puts himself in the furnace where he like takes his wedding band off and he kisses it and then he says like a prayer and then he like crawls into the fucking oven and you can hear him screaming as he's burned alive or dead. Um, it's it it's such a goofy like it, it's just this weird tonal shift from like, yeah, we're kind of playing this for laughs and ah, it's so goofy and there's this music playing and then there's this character that we've largely come to sympathize with. Like meet this fucking absolutely grisly end. Um, I, that just that's just a really bleak moment in the heart of this that I don't think this movie gets credit for often enough. Yeah, I agree. I think that. Well, again, I think that you have to. I think. W w you have to be willing to go with it on that to like be like, OK, this is what's because what else is that character going to do? Like we already know he's not just going to die and like give into this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it like narratively makes sense as well.
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it doesn't come out of nowhere and I think it's earned because it's like, we already had one of the characters, um, one of those two guys become like just inhuman, you know, uh, Freddie just becomes, uh, just another zombie. Um, and therefore like, we can't really put ourselves in his shoes anymore. We can't, we can't see much of ourselves in him. But when Frank makes the choice to, to die on his own terms, like there's something there that you can, you can, you can, you can see yourself in, you know, because yeah. there are people, myself included, who have been like, oh no, in that situation, I would fucking, that's it. Like I'm biting the bullet. Like I'm not going to be this, this hardened, you know, warrior of the wasteland with a fucking shotgun and a three-legged dog <laughs> who, who, who would vet. Like I'm, if I see a person on the street tomorrow walking oddly, I might think about, you know, what do I do next? <laughs> what are my options? Well, it's good. It's kind of weird to transition from this movie, which I think is, you know, disrespected, but is, you know, it, it deserves reassessment. And I think a certain amount of respect to this next movie, which, which nobody likes. And I think they're right. Oh my God. You're kidding me. I, it's bad, man. This is a bad oh, All right. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back if I haven't murdered Liam and reanimated his body to murder him again. We're going to talk about 1988's film. Trash hole. Film. Return of the Living Dead Part 2. We'll be right back. Ridiculous cash grab. Okay. A deadly experiment. Freak accident. A secret that will be carried to the grave as the horror classic is reborn. Return of the Living Dead, Part 2. Jesse will be the first to know. Billy will be the first to go. We've got to get out of here get to a phone. Seven of the living against an army of the dead starved for life. Living Dead, Part 2. Just when you thought it was safe to be dead. And we are back to talk about 1988's zombie comedy horror film. It's a film. Uh-huh. Written and directed by Ken Wiederhorn and starring a bunch of people. Return to the Living Dead, Part 2. It is the first of four sequels to Return to the Living Dead. And if you ask me, it is the best. Ugh. Oh, I'm sorry. Is Return to the Living Dead f- five rave from the grave better? Um, 
we talked about it earlier in the episode. It's possible that part three is better. You're the devil. But I don't know because I haven't You're watched the devil. part three in a long time. But this movie is bad. Oh, my God. Talk about it. Tell people what it's about and then tell people why you like it. I like this movie because there's a zombie who thinks Harry Truman is president. <laughs> that part was funny. I'll give you that. And I like the fact that there's another zombie who dances like Michael Jackson. Mm, you lost me there, but keep going. Okay. And I like uh, I like that. What's it up? Give people the, for the people who haven't seen it, give people the uh, synopsis. So. Exactly. There's a, there, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> there's a truck that's driving a couple barrels of trioxin and the truck driver is smoking a marijuana, which you shouldn't fucking do. And it falls in a river and um, and then this fucking jerk off kid and his jerk off fucking bullies, they find it and Tarman is in there and he gets out and I don't think we ever see him again. I just, nope, just never told. again. <laughs> that just that asshole kid pushed him in the river and he just like was like, ah, fuck it. I live here now. Um, and then, you know, the zombies get out and. Mayhem ensues. Now, I will give you this. Maybe I'm not as excited about this movie as I pretend to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> because I rewatched it, and aside from the zombie who thinks Harry Truman is president, and the Michael Jackson zombie, and the talking zombie head, um, and I think... Is that yeah? Mitch Pileggi's in this movie. He was Skinner from the X Files. He's a bit part. Um, aside from all of that, this movie doesn't really have much. <laughs> no, it does not. This, <laughs> like, okay, this movie has two ideas, and it only executes well on one of them. All right, here are the two ideas. Idea one: What if we made the zombies actually look good? And I will say, on that idea, they execute pretty good. They don't look great but they're certainly more memorable than most of the zombies in the first movie. There's really only three memorable zombies, maybe four from the first film. And there's a lot of people with dirt and red paint on them. And so like, okay, you, you did that. You made some memorable zombies. I'll give you that. The other idea was let's incorporate kids because kids watch horror movies and then they'll be able to identify with this kid character. And uh, that's a big swing and a miss there. That's whoa, buddy. And that kid is not meant for stage and screen, my friend. That is, it's painful. It's bad. And uh, the worst part is when the two kids fight at the end, that's, I would like to not have endured that, actually. That bully is the fucking worst. Uh-huh. He, holy shit. Oh, I'm sorry. That kid, the kid who plays like the, the whatchamacallit, um, Jesse, the main, the main, the little kid, uh-huh. he was the fucking, the younger brother in the blob, the remake of the blob. Oh yeah. I can see that. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't really ask much for an acting when it comes to acting in my horror movies. Um, but I will say that the bully in this movie, that is some of the worst acting I've ever seen. Awful. Awful. Actually. Like, it's literally like if I handed my niece a piece of paper and said, read that out loud. And then she read it to me. That's that's this that's this character, this actor's acting. It's fucking garbage. 
it it honestly makes this like main kid. It makes him look like f- fucking Nicolas Cage, the greatest living American actor. Um, but I just I don't know. I I still love this movie. Like the the scenes when the zombies first come back, when the kid is like running through the cemetery. I don't, there's just the, the scenes like the the hand coming out of the ground. There's something that's really spooky about that. And then like when the zombie woman with the fucking worms in her face, when she bites that guy's head, that's really spooky. And then when the army guys are shooting at the zombies and they're walking and they're all dusty, like that's really spooky. Um, but I, I, I think that's, I think I've said everything I like about this movie. Here's the thing. I'm going to make a list of sequels for you where the sequel does nothing but recreate the first film. And I think it's still pretty good. Evil Dead 2, end of of list. That's it. All these sequels that were, you know, I'm sure they happened a few times, but they're kind of notorious in the 80s where they're like, let's just do all the shit from the first movie again is like, I just can't, I can't with that. And it's not just that they do that. Like, they do that, folks. I'm not, like, being an asshole here. They literally just recreate things from the first movie. There's a number of times where they do it in such a meta way that you're supposed to think it's really fucking funny. And, like, it's kind I'll be honest. It is kind of funny. Like, I'm watching them, like, do this thing, and I'm like, oh, because it's the guys from the first. Okay, all right. But I feel like that would be more interesting in a movie that wasn't in almost every meaningful way the same movie again. It just doesn't feel like they had any – again, I sort of already said about new ideas. Like when I say those are their only two ideas, I mean entirely those were the only two ideas. That everything else is kind of like, you know, I guess you know they go to a hospital. I guess that's a little different, you know. They're not punks, so that's less interesting than the first movie. It's <laughs> it, there's there's nothing literally the army being too inept to figure out how to nuke them this time and they just shut the town down. That's maybe the only other sort of thing where it's a significant difference. A well, lot also- of this is the same movie over again and the jokes are not as funny. Also, to give it a tiny smidge of credit, the first one is more like of a traditional like castle siege movie, where this one at least mostly takes place outside. All those things that like the when when they have the fucking zombies driving the army jeep, get the fuck out! It's like uh, and- I'm sorry, are you talking about the scene where a zombie is smoking a cigar? You watch your mouth, sir. <laughs> it's this is the thing, right? This is. I, I think that all the innovations in the first movie where zombies are not like Romero zombies are mostly interesting and justified by the movie. And when people, because I've seen this happen, people talk about the it just being too ridiculous. I think they're thinking of this movie. I think this movie retroactively makes the first movie seem dumb. Okay. And I don't think it's fair because I think this movie is in fact dumb. And that first movie is not dumb at all. It has some goofy jokes in it, but that's all for me, part of a movie that's actually pretty smart and trying to do something interesting to differentiate itself from an icon. You know, that movie had return to living dead has to make it really clear. This is how we're different from Romero. And then the sequel goes, uh, yeah, we're different from Romero, but like, let's just do the stuff from the first movie for the most part. Uh, again, the zombies are more impressive. And I will say the lady with the snakes or they're not snakes, worms in her face. Awesome. Sick. Um, 
But I guess, and maybe this is just part of me not really caring too much about zombie movies anymore. Like, that's just not, that in and of itself isn't interesting to me anymore. Um, The other thing the movie does pretty good is, like, there's a few really effective zombie attacks, right? Like, Like, when they're eating that guy, that's pretty damn good, actually. Not enough to justify a movie for me. Like, there's just nothing else here <laughs> that I fucking care. I, I, we're living in a world where you can see some super brutal uh, zombie attacks on TV every week. Oh, every, yeah. Every week. So, like, now going back to this movie, I mean, let me be clear. The reason I'm so negative on this film, Justin, this was my first viewing. I had never seen this movie before. Oh, really? So I'm coming to this movie as a 42-year-old who has watched the original probably 50 times. And I'm going to give this sequel a chance. And I was not impressed. Uh, Now, if I was nostalgic about it, would I feel differently? I probably would. And I could see elements of this that I probably would have liked as a kid. Um, But it it just feels to me like a clunky sequel in a way that's like really difficult for me to get past. As opposed to like, let's, you know, if we talk about some of the other sequels in bigger franchises, like Dawn of the Dead is, you know, near perfect. Uh, I really like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I guess Friday the 13th 2 was clunky, but at least it had an idea of let's bring Jason. Like there was an idea behind the movie. Like in each of these movies, they have a new idea. This movie has no idea. It's just let's make some money again, guys. Like let's do it. This is going to be great. Okay. Um, I... Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like the more I think about it, um, like you're you are a hundred percent correct. It is a it it doesn't it doesn't seem that it doesn't seem as cynical to me as it does to you apparently, but it does seem like not that I'm demanding that these films be held as these like sacred cows. Sure. And take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. This movie didn't take the idea or the first movie seriously. Right, right. I I guess that's what I'm upset about. And and that's why I'm being maybe a little harsher on it than I should be. Because it is at times somewhat entertaining. But I think it doesn't take the idea of itself very seriously. And I think it, it does that. I read that, and I, you know, this is me projecting, but I read that as a misinterpretation of the first movie. I think the first movie takes itself seriously and manages to have fun at the same time. There's nothing in this movie even close to as upsetting as one moment from the first movie, in, in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, you're right. Um, I uh, I think the low point for me that I, that I think makes this... Uh, earlier I had said that there's a lot of moments in the first film that make it more than just another 80s horror movie whereas i unfortunately think this movie is just another 80s horror movie yeah and the moment that like makes that like really just drives it home is the the scene when um what's his face the fucking guy who was in twin peaks he's like the the cable repairman guy oh yeah yeah yeah. um when they get attacked in the house and the zombie's on top of him and he accidentally turns on the TV and it's like an aerobics instructor. And all of a sudden, all the zombies are mesmerized. And why are they mesmerized, Liam? Tits! Because uh, the zombies love tits! It's so... I can't believe I'm about to say this. It's so lowbrow and so fucking dumb that 
like, oh, like it should be funny, but it's just kind of like low hanging fruit, I guess. I think it, I, I actually at that moment thought if they find a more serious way to bring this back into the story later, then this moment is justified because it's like, you know, oh, we're adding a layer here, which is that zombies are distracted by things like think about I don't love this movie, but think about how land of the dead land of the dead with the yeah. fireworks that that makes sense. You know, they they're 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 stimuli and they're distracted by the stimuli and this movie kind of hints at that, but instead of ever using it again, it's just like, no, nah, man, it's a good boob joke. We're making a good boob joke. And I'm like, who, who doesn't like uh, boobs? Come on. And again, like that's, <clears throat> I think you're, you're being, I, I, I think I need to agree with you more than I am. Cause I'm, I was sort of like frustrated with this movie. It's not the end of the world that it's a bad eighties horror movie. Like I, I do have affection for bad eighties horror movies. I think part of my issue though, is that I don't come to it with this nostalgia and you know, I watch these in a row. Right. And so like every time I rewatch return of the living dead, I'm reminded like, Oh yeah, this is a silly movie at times, but it takes itself seriously and it is injected with moments of like real upsetting shit that I think really works very well. And then this other movie is like just, having fun the whole time and that's fine i guess but i feel like it misses an opportunity especially with involving kids and stuff like oh yeah it misses an opportunity to do something dark and it just never goes there it just is silly the whole time and it feels like it's not taking the idea very seriously and even like what what it ends up becoming you know i let's put this as a side note because we've mentioned this on the show before I'd love for someone who has more patience than me and is more of like a horror scholar to talk about at what point in the 80s horror movies really started to take on the the, the, uh, contours of action films because there's so many horror movies towards the later part of the 80s where there is pretty quickly or at least significantly uh, like MacGuffin or other thing that lets you like fight back, you know, like this idea of like, we're just going to electrically get the zombies. Like it becomes almost more of an adventure film vibe. Whereas like, you know, in, in the Romero zombie films, immediately we know, like if you shoot them in the head, it's okay. And, and even in Dawn, there's some like actiony sequences, but that film really drains you of any hope that like these are heroes who are going to fight the good fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's a whole genre of later eighties horror movies where, yeah, we got some good kills and some creepy stuff at the beginning, but somewhere around the middle, we got to make it clear that like our favorite heroes are going to find a special weapon and be able to fight back. Yep. It's, it's, I mean, sometimes it could still work. I, I don't want to say like, and all those movies are bad. You know what I mean? Because like, then I got to say Dream Warriors is bad and I'm, I'm not going to say that. But I will say <laughs> that in some cases it ends up sucking the film, like s- taking away the film's uh, opportunity to actually be horrifying or dreadful, you know? I, I think what this movie kind of does to the first one is what people seem to be afraid of remakes doing. Yeah. In this, in the sense that like nothing will ever short of a lobotomy ever make me not love return of the living dead. But knowing that there is a continuation of the story that is profoundly sub part of the first one, it, it, it doesn't consciously hit me, but it's there. It's, it's, it's in the back of my head. Like 
Yeah, Return of the Living Dead 2. This movie, like the first Return of the Living Dead, actual masterpiece. The second one, not so much. And this is just like a pet theory of mine. I have no evidence to back it up, as I have no evidence to back up any of my many accusations and theories. But I do feel that the goofiness of this film is what led to the really weird earnestness of the third film, where that sure. third that third movie kind of has this weird, romantic, melodramatic, tragic sense to it that is serious, but in a different way that the first one is. And I think that that, that movie kind of overcompensating in that sense is because of this movie and how fucking ridiculous this movie is. And then we have Rave to the Grave, which I've never seen and I don't ever want to see because I'm assuming it's just this times a thousand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I do want to say like some of the kills are really good. I like the zombie designs. Um, but like the the goofy doctor I could do without, the little kid I could do without. Um and you know, the the we we have these two female characters who are like Unfortunately, more annoying than they are endearing, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I guess I like the cable guy from Twin Peaks. Maybe maybe part of this is like, and I'm not saying like you need likable characters, but, you know, I don't know that there's anyone in this that I'm like, oh, they're cool. Oh, that, you know, I get, you know, this is pretty neat. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. No, there's, 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 and okay, the thing that really bothers me about this movie, and this is like a, a just a tiny thing, um, Suzanne Snyder, who plays Brenda, sure. has no purpose in this movie. None. Just no, none. She is literally the archetypical cardboard cutout, attractive female character from an 80s horror film, which when you look at her in killer clowns from outer space say what you will about how dumb that movie is her character is the only one from the gate who was yeah. like we need to get the fuck out of here something is obviously not right and all the other dudes are like what are you talking about it's a circus like to go from that to this is like what are you doing here and that's not her fault you know obviously she's you know working with the material she has and being directed but it's just like when you're when when you give a better performance in a film called Killer Clowns from Outer Space, that's saying something about the other movie you're most widely known for. I will say, I bet this film in the middle of a horror marathon with a crowd could be fun, but I'm definitely laughing at the fucking movie. Like I'm I'm yeah, laughing at it. I'm not. You're la yeah, you're not. La yeah, it's it's not Return of the Living Dead where you're like, the movie is kind of in on the joke with you. This one yeah. is like. Oh. This one is trying to be in on the joke, but it's like I'm laughing at them for thinking that's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, we don't have to shit on this anymore. I'm sure somebody's listening and this is like one of their favorite movies. So I apologize a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. But not too hard. Yeah. So <clears throat> thank you. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, thank you to our patrons. Thank you to anyone who has shared, retweeted, or liked anything. Uh, Please check out cinepunks.com for more Cineween material. Um, we got a lot of cool stuff coming up the rest of the month, so just fucking keep your eyes on the prize. Um, head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast. More episodes of Liam's other podcast that he does. He does like 40 other podcasts. I don't know. Stop. Um, Stop. And, and a bunch of other great podcasts. Yeah, check and out Twitch of the Death Nerve. Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is 
Did you know this, Liam? It's the alternate title to Bay of Blood. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Nay, you're lying. You made it up. I knew that. You didn't. <laughs> I like Gialli. You don't. Are we going to do a Gialli episode next? Uh, well, no. Our next episode is actually going to be the new French extreme with the front man of a certain New Jersey hardcore band oh, from the yes, late 90s, early aughts yes, that we can't is. name. We can't name. I'm so excited. Uh, so, yeah. Until next time, always remember... Tremors is Dune for smart people. <laughs> Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! hey.